Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Here we are, the uh, first Sunday after Easter. Good to have all of you here. Has it ever been suggested to you that the whole Christian faith is, is based on a hoax? And that Jesus never even existed, or if he did exist, at least that part about him rising from the dead is just a myth? Or has someone ever told you that they think, well, you know, that's irrelevant. It doesn't even matter if he rose from the dead or not. Does Easter really matter past the longer weekend and the ham dinner? I think that's already been answered by Pastor Ryan and, and by Izzy as well. Thank you. I found some con- confusing and disturbing uh, statistics relating to our country and their beliefs um, as I was looking this last week. Um, you might be aware that the percentage of the nuns in our country is significantly on the rise, and let me explain. I'm talking not about the N-U-N-S, uh, Catholic kind, but the N-O-N-E-S. That is, the people that claim there's no, they have no religious identity and describe themselves either as atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular. According to a Pew Research survey in, in 2021, uh, that group makes up now 29% of the U.S. population. Meanwhile, according to that same survey, about 63% of our population would identify as Christian. And and according to LifeRay research, about 66% believe Jesus literally rose from the dead. However, many of them don't grasp that it really makes any difference for their everyday lives. And, And possibly, partially due to that then, the next generation is much less likely to believe. And LifeWay research found that a majority Uh, of 18 to 34 year olds, that is 59% of them say they don't believe the biblical account of Jesus' bodily resurrection. Well, did the resurrection of Jesus really take place and and does it make a difference? Today I wanna answer that. I'm excited to share with you from scripture and, and from other sources as well. First of all, four firm facts of history that I believe are the starting point or the foundation for our Christian faith, and then also share with you the difference that those four firm facts of history make uh, for our individual lives and, and for our involvement then in the work of the Christian church around the world. Might you look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, be reading beginning with verse one, and I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, begins verse one. Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. He says, Now I, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, 
and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Let us pray. Lord God, as we look at these words of Paul writing to the church at Corinth about this foundational beliefs that we have in the Christian faith, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts about that, that you would help us to grasp what it is that we rest in and why that makes all the difference in the world for us and for all mankind. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so Paul begins this chapter by mentioning four firm facts of history. First of all, that, that Jesus died. And to say this, of course, assumes another historical fact, that, that Jesus actually existed. Uh, those who claim he never lived, I believe, really have their blinders on, because Jesus re is recorded in history all over the place. Um, last week I mentioned, uh, there's, we have a few more copies of this in the back table there, you're welcome to pick them up, but this little booklet of Lee Strobel's called The Case for Christ Answer Booklet, it, it tells, among other things, tells of 39 ancient sources outside of the Bible that provide historical facts about Jesus. Ryan Turner, in an article titled, Did Jesus Ever Exist?, um, says that there are 42 sources recorded within 150 years after, of Jesus' life which mention his existence and record many of the details of his life. And just to give you a comparison, um, Tiberius Caesar, the Roman emperor who reigned during Jesus' ministry, has only 10 known authors who mention his existence within 150 years of his life. The 42 that mention Jesus include the nine traditional New Testament authors, but then also 20 other early Christian writers outside the New Testament, four heretical writings, and then nine, nine secular sources as well. And I have a list of those here I could share with you if you have questions about them. Josh McDowell in, in uh, Evidence Demands a Verdict. Um, after citing several non-biblical early historians mentioning Jesus, then summarizes his findings by quoting from the 1974 edition of the Encyclopedia uh, Britannica. And there it says this. These independent accounts prove that in, that in ancient times, even opponents of Christianity never doubted the his historicity of Jesus, which was disputed really for the first time and on inadequate grounds by several authors at the end of the 18th, 19th, and beginning of the 20th centuries. 
So we know that Jesus existed, and furthermore, that he died. And the crucifixion of Jesus is also quite historically verifiable. Many of those same sources I mentioned to you talk of that. In our confession of faith that we recite most Sundays here, we remind each other Jesus' historicity. And we say that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. And so second um, firm fact of history, he, he was buried. His, his burial in the tomb of Joseph Arimathea is further verification than a, that he died. Three out of the four gospel writers mention this man, Joseph of Arimathea, and, what, and one of them explains that he was a prominent member of the Jewish council and a secret follower of Jesus, and that he, along with another council member, Nicodemus, who is that one in John chapter 3 tells us about, that came to Jesus by night to ask how to receive eternal life. Well, those two men together asked for the body of Jesus, had it taken down from the cross before the Sabbath and placed then in a newly hewn tomb uh, on Joseph's land. And, and so historically then, Jesus' dead body was buried there. Thirdly, he rose on the third day. And, and the fact of Jesus' resurrection from the grave is, a, is of course the message that Paul and the remaining 11 apostles dedicated the rest of their lives to proclaiming. And, and most of them died martyrs' deaths rather than deny the truth of the resurrection. And the New Testament writers then all assume the truth of the resurrection of Jesus as they write. And we see that in various things as we read through them. And Paul sums up the evidence here then, reminding the Corinthians that the risen Lord Jesus Christ appeared to over 500 people. And he named several of them, um, Cephas, another name for Peter, then the 12 disciples, then to more than 500 at one time. And most of them, Paul says, are, are still alive um, even as he writes this letter to the church at Corinth. And then he appeared alive to his own doubting brother, James, and then also to Paul himself, who was very much a skeptic until the, that day that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so Jesus' resurrection appearances uh, to so many left little chance of anybody perpetuating a lie that he really didn't rise from the dead. So those four from facts of history then we have. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose on the third day, and he appeared to over 500 people. They're the stubborn facts of history. They're recorded thoroughly in the New Testament, but also in many other historical records. And if you wish to deny them, that's your choice. But to do so then is to also bring plenty of other, his, his, um, I should say, recorded history to be suspect um, because it's, it has far less documentation than this does. Michael Green sums that up, and he says this. The resurrection was a belief that turned heartbroken followers of a crucified rabbi into the courageous witnesses and martyrs of the early church. You could imprison them, flog them, kill them, but you could not make them deny their conviction that on the third day, he rose again. Those four firm facts of history are, are, are the basis of everything else in the Christian faith. And having reminded his readers then of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and appearances afterwards, Paul then goes on in these next verses, beginning in verse 12 then, um, to declare that if these things are not true, then the rest of the Christian faith collapses. Look with me at that here. First of all, he's saying if, if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, these seven things would be the result. One, our preaching is vain. It's worthless. Empty, useless. Then the skeptics would be right. And everyone would, 
should really boycott the Christian church because it's founded on a big lie. And we should not encourage any of young men to go into ministry as pastors. Uh, they'd just be pro- continuing to proclaim that vain, worthless, empty, useless message. Then he says, also your faith then is vain. It's worthless and empty. You, you should just stay home or, or go to the lake every Sunday because if Christ is not raised, then Christians have no great reason to assemble together, no uh, valuable message to proclaim to the world. And, and then we together really are also false witnesses of God, declaring a message as being from God, which really isn't from God at all, but just something that was humans dreamed up. I have to say at this point that if, if personally I did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as historical fact, I, I'd need to close up shop and not be a pastor, do something else with my life. Certainly been times I've thought about doing something else, but I can't walk away from a perspective that we in the Christian church have a message to proclaim which the world so desperately needs to hear. And that's explained as we go on in these next verses. You look at verse 17 there. Paul says, if Christ was not raised, then your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Then there's no hope for sinners. And we're stuck carrying around the guilt of our own sins. And, and maybe going to a therapist uh, who can try to help explain why you shouldn't feel guilty or, or why you should blame someone else for things that you knew you did wrong anyway. So not only would we be then without hope for true release from the load of our guilt, but without hope to overcome those besetting sins, and we'd have nothing to offer those that are facing death. If Christ is not raised, in verse 18, those who died believing in Christ have perished. They've died just like a dog, rotted in the grave, that's all there was for them. Or, or worse yet, their, their spirits are now facing the wrath of God as all sinners should then expect. Paul further sums it up by saying, if Christ is not raised in verse 19, then we are, all, uh, we are of all men most to be pitied. Compared to any pitiable situation you can think of, Paul says, even more than that, uh, we of all men are to be pitied. We're pathetic. Having lived for and believed a lie and then actually perishing in the end. And then verse 32, if Christ is not raised, then we might as well live for the moment uh, because that's all we have. Then the world's right. Let's eat and drink and party, for tomorrow we may die. And if Christ is not raised, then why hold back on anything? Why have any moral standards? Why not just totally indulge yourself on anything that you feel like doing? Life is short, play hard, collect the most toys while you can. Don't worry about eternity, live only for the now. We look around and we see there are many around us these days. That's essentially their perspective. but we are called not to live like the rest of the world. You see, they're missing something. There's a key word here in this text. Verse 20. And this word changes everything. And there it says, but. That changes the perspective we can have from hopelessness to joy. These seven things I mentioned are not true because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And he, the Son of God, did not stay in the tomb. He burst forth from the tomb. He scared the daylights out of the guards. He baffled the Jewish religious leaders. And he total, it totally changed then his disciples from a bunch of chickens that were hiding in an upper room to bold witnesses that went everywhere proclaiming their absolute certainty that Jesus truly had risen from the dead. So let's look and, and review those things again. But since Christ has been raised then our preaching is not empty. 
We, we have the greatest message in the world to declare. And we Christians need to invite the world then to come and hear it, or else we need to bring it to them where they are. Since Christ has been raised, your faith is not empty. Your faith in Jesus Christ is based on something that's real and solid, the historical account of the eternal Son of God who stepped into human history to save us sinners who were without hope. And that makes us then true witnesses of God, who are telling it like it really is, just as God has revealed to us in his written word. And then since Christ has been raised, faith in Jesus Christ makes you free from your sins. The resurrection of Jesus proved his deity, and with that then, that he truly does have the power to forgive your sins. And, and that is what he offers for all who will repent and who will turn to him. And since Christ has been raised, then those who have died believing in Christ have eternal life. And, and that means that grandpa and grandma, if they knew Jesus in this life before they died, then their spirits are now with the Lord. And, and one day their bodies will rise out of the grave to meet the Lord in the air. Some of you have lost others in your life, uh, not so old as grandpas and grandmas. Um, and maybe it seemed to you they left this earth rather young and, and you miss them terribly. Well, if they knew Jesus, then one day you can see them again. Jesus' resurrection assures us of that. And I'm reminded of these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that, that tell us then that, you know, Someday I get to see my dad again, and, and Jean's parents, and, and her two sisters again. They've gone on before us. You go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and, and here's what it says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Furthermore, then, since Christ has been raised, others will look to us and find hope. In these days in our land where there is such a drift away from the word of God and involvement in the Christian church, do not people in our country and the rest of the world need now as much as ever that message of the cross and of the empty tomb? Since Christ has been raised, we are to live every aspect of our lives in light of that and in light of eternity, and not just then living for the moment, but focusing um, on other things, focusing on what's most important, living each day in a personal relationship with our living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and with our eye then on eternity with him in the church triumphant. And that is the joyful message we have to proclaim to the world that Easter brings us and that lives with us much beyond. Let us pray. Lord God, we just give you thanks for your word today and how Paul lays it on the line here and spells it out. These historical events that took place when Jesus came to this earth, lived among mankind, taught, did miracles, and showing his, his uh, deity. But then also, 
was willing to go to the cross to suffer and die that we might have forgiveness of sin. We thank you for those mes that message, Lord. We thank you that he did not stay in the tomb, that also there is such a strong record of how that his resurrection changed everything for the disciples and caused the word of, of uh, gospel message of forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Jesus to spread around the world and, and it's still going today. We thank you for that. Lord, may we be faithful to help to spread that message. May we in, be not distracted by the things of the world that draw us to live just for ourselves. But Lord, we pray that you'd use our church to be a beacon of light point others to the hope that we have of forgiveness of sin and eternal life. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I invite you to join with me in singing in response today uh, the, the hymn, He Lives. I serve a risen Savior. He is in the world today. How do I know he lives? Well, the historical evidence is very strong, as I've mentioned. The scriptures are true, but also, even as Izzy mentioned today, we experience his work in our hearts and our lives. The Holy Spirit is living within each of us that know him.